Hey everyone, this month of mobility is sponsored by Meeting of the Minds, a nonprofit that fosters person to person and city to city learning by spotlighting projects and practitioners working on smart and sustainable cities. Their one day mobility summit is coming up June 14th in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the Graduate Hotel. You can find more information in the show notes or at meetingoftheminds.org. Hope to see you there. As always, a huge shout out to the folks over at the Ann Arbor District Library for being our recording partner in this podcast. All right, with that, let's get back to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Michigan Makers Podcast with your host, Leanne, founder and CEO of Ash Media, where we interview Michigan's top entrepreneurs, investors, makers, movers, and shakers, and dive deep into why the comeback of Michigan's economy is inevitable. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome my next guest to the show today, a transportation planning veteran. He knew he wanted to work in mobility before mobility was even a term. A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania where he studied systems engineering specifically focused on transportation, he started his career as a project consultant for traffic engineering and geometric design. After spending almost a decade in Chicago working as a transportation consultant, he packed his bags and moved to Detroit. Currently, he works to improve in-city mobility for residents of Detroit, and I believe his work is going to help turn the Motor City into the Mobility City. Now, everyone please welcome Mark DeLaverne, Chief of Mobility Innovation for the City of Detroit. And we're live. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. Happy to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah, so I always like to start the show off just by asking you about your story, allowing you to sort of take us from uh, the beginning to now. And so for the listeners, who is Mark DeLaverne? Am I saying it right? Yep, no. Okay. So uh, I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia, really old, walkable suburb, uh, walked pretty much everywhere as a kid, um, then got a car at 16 and started driving. Uh, Went to school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, uh, great urban campus, you know, in the, in the middle of Philadelphia. Um, I got done there, so I majored in um, engineering, kind of a combination of electrical and civil engineering with transportation focus. Um, kind of did a few jobs, one just in traditional engineering, one in what's called a transportation management association who focuses on specific needs of, of uh, employers and getting their folks to work. Um, and I began to, to understand that's kind of where I wanted to go. But left Philadelphia because I just wanted to see another city, ended up just picking Chicago out of the blue. Um, started there just doing traf- traditional traffic engineering. Um, how many cars get through this intersection? How do we widen the intersection? And around, I'll say like 07, 08, um, I had a little bit of an awakening and read a book called The High Cost of Free Parking by Donald Shoup, um, which really opened my eyes to things I wasn't doing right uh, mm-hmm. and just beginning to think more about um, how much of a role transportation and mobility plays in cities. Yeah. And, you know, there was some work going on at the time in New York and Portland, but not, not a whole lot nationally around 
rethinking streets, rethinking how people get around. Um, and I just got lucky of when I got interested in the topic, um, my company also was willing to sort of take a chance. I was, I was working for a consulting firm at the time on cities. Um, so we, we got plugged in and I got to do a, a ton of work with um, the Chicago Department of Transportation when Ronald Manuel became mayor, leading a lot of really, really big efforts there, including the city's pedestrian plan, the city's bike plan, overall action agenda, the planning and deployment of their bike share system, studies for museum campus, the Obama Presidential Center, working with the Cubs, just so like, yeah. just kind of like a whole set of projects you'd be really, really happy with your career. Um, and then being working closely with, with Chicago allowed me to, to branch out to other cities um, as they began to make this transformation. So um, really got fortunate to, to see how other cities are built, how other cities operate, different types of personalities. So um, did lots of work in places, you know, Pittsburgh, Seattle, L.A., Macon, Georgia was one of my favorite places to work. Um, but just different different sizes of, of towns. Grand Rapids was yeah. another another great project and great folks to work with. Um, and so I was doing I was doing that and very very happy doing that. Um, and was actually doing some some work for Ford um, before they had started their city solutions group. Just yeah. just helping them think through some of their ideas and how cities think. And was in Dearborn, so I figured I'd pop up. Um, I'd met. Jed Halber, who's the the group exec, um, or, no, no, at the mayor's office. I just figured I'd come up and pitch them in, on some work, and started pitching. And we were just talking about um, sort of the future of transportation. And Jed says, "You know what? Would you be interested in this new job we have coming up?" Yeah. Uh, and then from there, uh, couldn't turn down sort of the opportunity both to to work in this unique unique job, but also um, to work with the mayor and really all the great things that are, that are happening on, on the mayor's team and just being a, a small part of that. Um, but also working in the city and, you know, with all the industry partners here, which is a, there's one place you could do that in, in the country and that's here in Detroit. Yeah. So on that point, um, so last week we had, uh, Jessica Robinson from Ford city solutions and, um, I asked her this question. So I'll ask you since you're sort of the other side of the coin here. Um, but like, How's the, I mean, obviously it's a public-private partnership a lot of times. Um, and so how is, how is like the, how do you not like, how do you navigate just the not to butt heads and, and say, you know, you know, obviously Ford has some things they want to get done and, and sometimes they may interfere or it just may not be feasible. Um, well, I mean, I think the, one of the things that we did early on is try to say like, here's the problems we're trying to solve. Um, and they might not be the same problems that every single city is, is trying to address, but th this is really what we are, we are looking to do here in Detroit. And, you know, we've also been very open by the fact that we're interested in learning about the future of mobility, just like these companies are. Um, and there's an opportunity for us to, to learn together and work together as we both think through how these changes are going to happen and whether those changes are around microtransit, new transit services, connected technology, autonomous vehicles, all these things that are really at their infancy um, that, you know, we're not willing to basically say like, here's $20 million in contracts. You know, we're willing to say like, how does this work with what we're doing around DDOT on transit or, or how does this begin to work um, with our existing traffic signal infrastructure and some of the other things that we have going on. And, 
you know, for, for these, a lot of these companies, this is their first time that, you know, cities are a client. It's usually been, they go and sell vehicles or they sell parts to a vehicle. Yeah. And that's what they've been, been focused on. And so they're, as their scope has begun to widen, um, there's a lot of expertise here in the city from um, the mayor to the 700,000 folks that live in the city that face unique challenges by, by themselves. Um, and that's what we've really tried to begin to open their eyes towards, um, that there's a huge, huge opportunity here to improve the lives and, and allow people to access things just like jobs, getting to the doctor or getting to school. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting point that you brought up where, you know, Detroit's neighborhoods especially have varying densities. And so, you know, it it sort of can be argued for the point where, you know, if a certain neighborhood doesn't have as much density, then uh, it, it doesn't make financial sense to invest a lot in the transit there. But obviously, you know, these people still need jobs. These it, residents of the neighborhoods need to get from place to place. And so how, how does um, the Office of Mobility Innovation sort of approach that? Sure. So it starts off with the fact that fixed route transit is going to be the core of how we move people around the city. Um, it's always going to be the most efficient way to do it. Um, and if we've got buses running every 15 minutes on major corridors, people don't have to plan their lives around them. They can just basically say, like, I know the bus is going to come on Grand River. I'm just going to go out and wait for the bus. Yeah. Um, but there are parts of the city where, where fixed route transit it doesn't run or doesn't make sense right now. And that's what we want to begin to understand is what's the best model to provide the most amount of mobility to folks in the city. Um, and there isn't like a blueprint out there that we can easily copy and paste. And that's where we've got learning. And that's kind of what my job is, is to begin to develop and deploy pilots uh, to learn how we can best serve the mobility needs of, of people in the city. And that's we just actually launched our, our first pilot yesterday um, in partnership with Lyft, where if you get on or off the bus, the Woodward bus, between the hours of 12 a.m. and 5 a.m. on a weekday north of the boulevard, um, we'll give you a free $7 credit on Lyft. And that'll basically get you about 1.3 to 1.5 miles from yeah. Woodward. And the thinking being is four years ago, we had nothing running 24 hours, you know, yeah. two, three o'clock in the morning, there were no DDOT buses on the street. And the mayor and DDOT have done a lot of great initiatives, one of which is getting 24-hour service back now up to 10 routes with the addition of 8 Mile. And But at the same time, we don't run the same level of transit service at 3 o'clock in the morning that we do at 3 o'clock at night. So what we want to do is, is to understand if we, we put something out there like Lyft where we're going to get you that last mile where you need to do, one is that something that is going to actually help people. Um, and then two... If people aren't using it, why aren't they using it? Is it because we're not getting the word out about it? Is it because they don't feel comfortable using the service? They don't have a cell phone. They don't have a credit card. Um, beginning to learn that because we don't want to just launch something huge citywide and say, this is what you've got now yeah. without really understanding our customers, which are mm -hmm. people who are, are riding the bus. Yeah. <clears throat> and so with that, I, I really like how you know, you're just approaching it from pilots. And so how do you sort of navigate the problem of essentially, you know, like technology moves fast. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you're doing pilots and, you know, let's say something revolutionary comes out and it's like, okay, we've done this pilot and that seemed to have worked. And now there's this like completely new thing. Should we test that or should, or since that pilot worked, like, do we go with that? Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's part of this process is to, to do a pilot, deploy something, evaluate it, and then determine how we iterate on top of that. Um, you know, the pilot we're running is a small $14,000 pilot. Like it's not mm-hmm. a, a huge investment of, of services. And right. it's also based on the fact that to hit that $14,000, we've got to have 2000 rides, right? If we, yeah. as we get there, um, you know, and that's, but that's the overall challenge is this is, is you make an investment, how do you future proof it? And whether that's an investment in transit, it's an investment in, um, infrastructure right. that their technology is changing at a, at a really rapid rate so how do we do things that future proof as best as possible mm-hmm. um but at the same time begin to test some of these things to say is this actually solving a, a problem for a detroiter we'll be right back after this short break so as you all may know this entire month is dedicated to the mobility industry We're interviewing the top entrepreneurs, directors, and government officials in mobility to give you all a sense of what's happening in southeastern Michigan around car sharing, transportation, public transit, etc. Which is why we're partnering with the folks over at Meeting of the Minds. They are convening a one-day mobility summit next month, which will bring together some of the country's brightest minds in mobility to take them through facilitated work sessions, a tour of the American Center for Mobility, and some good old-fashioned networking. Some of the speakers at the event include Kirk Studel, who's the director of the Michigan Department of Transportation, Mark DeLaverne, the city of Detroit's chief of mobility innovation, and Pamela Lewis, the director of the New Economy Initiative for Southeast Michigan. We hope you can join us at the event on June 14th at the Graduate Hotel in Ann Arbor. Tickets are selling fast, so grab them before they run out. All right. Let's get back to the episode. How do you see the evolution of like Detroit's roads? Because I've seen many a drawing or a mock-up of, okay, people-centric versus car-centric, where, you know, we're right on the cusp of, of Woodward and it's very, you know, four-lane, two-way, and the sidewalks are just kind of like there. Um, and so I, I've seen like a lot of things where it's like, okay, we'll have a lane or a few lanes for traffic and then like, it'll be very like walkable and then we'll have one lane or two lanes for, uh, autonomous vehicles or whatever. So how, how do you see that playing out? Yeah. So I, you know, we're not dedicating lanes to autonomous vehicles anytime soon because yeah. there's not like a huge demand for it, but we, we do see a growing demand for people to safely walk where they want to go, um, people to be able to bike, um, providing more more space and priority for transit. But at the same time, a lot of people do drive and that's not changing anytime soon. So being able to, to balance those priorities. Um, the the mayor had a brilliant idea and just an, it was announced uh, last year around uh, the neighborhood street bond where we'll be investing 125 million dollars um, into neighborhood streets that will be mm-hmm. sort of be main streets on a lot of these neighborhoods where we're doing neighborhood planning and you know streets add value to economic development mm-hmm. you see 
streets, particularly in our adjacent suburbs, whether it's Gross Point or Royal Oak, Birmingham, where these great walkable streets are also in these great neighborhood shopping districts. And we've got a lot of that on the, on the cusp happening. And we're obviously doing a lot of stuff with Motor City Match and Motor City Restore to, to get these businesses. But now it's up to us to make sure that the public right of way is also serving those needs. And that, that's what that bond is gonna be really part of and really supporting these future, these existing and future businesses uh, in the neighborhoods. Um, and then the Jefferson Avenue project is gonna be a big transformational project with regards to connecting residents to parks um, and making it easier to just simply cross Jefferson, particularly to, to access the riverfront, where we're gonna be getting, take, transforming uh, a lane of traffic into a protected bike lane and we're significantly reducing the distance that people are going to have to cross the street, um, which you're young, probably you can, you can move pretty quickly. Um, you know, but there's a lot of, a lot of people you know, that don't walk as fast as you do um, mm -hmm. and need more time. So if we can cut down the distance that they have to walk, that's, that's a big savings, which pretty yeah. good with regards to safety. Um, so that's going to be a, a, big, a big project launching this summer. And you know the mayor's very clear that you know we want streets that work for the neighbors. And yeah. as we do do these projects, there will be tons of outreach being being done, so that everyone can have a have a say in what their streets should look like and how they should function. Yeah, definitely. And, and so, in terms of when you mentioned there, um, working with you know Royal Oak, Birmingham, what do you think, in your opinion, um, needs to happen? in the southeast region of Michigan for, I don't wanna say our problems to be fixed, but for more cooperation and collaboration to, to occur? Well, regional transit would be a great start. Um, and obviously, we're very supportive of the effort of RTA and County Executive Evans, um, that leadership that he's taken to push forward to get RTA on the ballot. Um, I think for us, in the past, some of it's just been a capacity constraint that we just haven't had a lot of focus on this issue or now we have a lot of focus on this issue. And I think um, whether it's the State Department of Transportation, SEMCOG, our regional MPO, um, or some of our neighbors like Ferndale, uh, Royal Oak, Gross Point, Dearborn, is that we're building these relationships and working together in a way that wasn't happening before the mayor was here. And that's going to be a big, big part of this because there's a lot, a lot of players in, in making a lot of these, these projects happen. Whether it's on a state road, like a lot of our, our streets, whether it's Woodward or Gratiot or Grand River or state roads, um, to how do we improve a connection on a street like Livernois um, between northwest side of the city and Ferndale. Um, so we have, everybody working on this, this has, has a million things to do. Um, but building better relationships is, is something we've been really focused on. Yeah, and I, there's something today that I'm pull up here. Um, it was published an hour and nine minutes ago. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but here, let me show you real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any comments to that? Just... So, yeah, an opt-out plan doesn't work. Like, you can't cut holes and expect this to work as a, as a regional plan. Um, we're very focused, and, and the plan itself has different mobility options for different different communities. That we were very strongly believing that there are a number of corridors where running frequent fixed route service is going to have a big impact um, on the people that live in a community as well as the people that work in that community. Um, 
but at the same time, we know that fixed route service is not the option for everybody. So um, communities that necessarily don't have the demand or desire for fixed route, they still have mobility needs. Almost every community in this region spends something on quote unquote transit. Um, that transit might be a senior, senior rides, it might be a circulator, um, but everybody has needs to, to get people around. And that's what this, the, the RTA proposal has, is these flexible um, funds for communities to say, this is how I think is the best way to get people around. Um, and, you know, that, but the opt-out system is just not something that works. Yeah, yeah. And for, uh, for the podcast listeners, just so there's some context here, um, I, I have on my screen um, the De- a Detroit News article with headline, Regional Transit Opt-Out Plan Emerges in Michigan House. Um, I can link that in the show notes if you want. But um, yeah, and so in terms of you know media coverage and general awareness as to transit, um, you know I read an interesting blog post on uh, essentially it highlighted the lack of media coverage on you know Detroit's bus routes, and there's there are nine twenty four seven bus routes in Detroit, and it's interesting because you know uh, according to the New York Times transit moves up to 25,000 people compared to up to 1,600 people per hour for like in that numbers for cars. And so what do you think it is about, um, you know, do you think it's just purely awareness? Do you think it's like a ethos, a mentality? So this isn't just a Detroit thing. This is a, a national thing that uh, the bus is the forgotten mode. When people get very excited about rail projects, um, even BRT sometimes, but just the bus itself is not uh, the thing that people are throwing confetti up and cutting ribbons for. Um, but the bus is, for us in Detroit, our transit future, and for most cities, is, is that's what we're going to be doing investments in. And you've seen cities like Houston, um, cities like Columbus, that LA is about to undertake this, doing these massive. Um, bus read network designs um, to take something that no one looked at and say like let's let's rethink this whole thing um, and then you have a, n- a number of cities innovating with regards to, to making the bus work um, run faster more reliably um, and whether that's dedicated lanes providing transit signal priority and traffic signals so the bus doesn't get held at a green um, providing um, more ways to, to pay um, to just reduce a lot of these frictions. And um, this is a thing as, as a society, I think we're all gonna have to, to come to grips with is that, you know, the bus isn't, uh, is, is kind of our future of how we're gonna start, it moves a lot of people now, yeah. um, and it's gonna keep moving a lot of people in the future. Um, and whether that bus drives itself or not, that's a whole, whole nother right. thing. Um, and, so I, I don't think this is necessarily a Detroit where it's just like we all we all forget about the bus. Uh, this, this happens uh, across the U.S. But um, you know we've D, the team at DDOT has done um, really amazing things to to really transform the services where it was four years ago, um, and we have a lot more things lined up that are be exciting to to start to really get out there. Um, and it's not just us; obviously, it's Smart as well. Um, they launched uh, three. Their fast service, which are three limited stop routes that run on Michigan, Woodward, and Gratiot, they come every 15 minutes. 
and they get rid of the friction that exists today between city and suburbs. So they just keep running throughout. Um, you know, they've been a great partner um, and have really been able to, and they've been blown away at sort of their numbers. And that's, it's one of the things that's really been remarkable and that we've been, we've been championing and now we're, we're glad that we're seeing that it's true is that if you provide more transit service, more people will take it. Mm -hmm. And you look at Woodward over the last year, you've got a streetcar that wasn't operational. So it obviously has added ridership. Our ridership is up about 3% on the Woodward route and fast and the smarts ridership is up, I think like, 10 to 15 percent over last year so yeah. just and we've and it's just because there's a lot of service and if you're out at like woodward and the boulevard at eight o'clock in the morning like transit's coming by you like every three or four minutes and yeah. it's just like if you live if you're getting from there to downtown there's really no reason that you're late because you have so many options to get downtown yeah. and that's the first place where we actually have have that um and that's what i see is as the future is just having more service and you can just go out and just and hop on a um, a bus and it's going to get you down there fast. Yeah. And you know, a, an outside example of that, that I personally take just very often now that I'm in Detroit and I live in Ann Arbor is just the Detroit connector. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been, it's been so like the word that comes to mind is just clutch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, the other options was like it, one time I missed the Detroit connector back to Ann Arbor and I had to be in Ann Arbor for an evening event. And I was like, I, I ended up just shelling out like the $55 for a lift back. But, um, well, it's, it's similar to, I mean, like bef before, um, the fast service came in, we had reflex, which were at, you know, they basically ran headways of every 50 minutes, which is not great at all, but it was still the thing that would connect you between the suburbs and, and the city all day. Mm -hmm. Um, and was running limited stops. So it wasn't stopping at every single stop. Um, the Michigan Avenue thing, I think for everybody has been just being able to get on a bus and go to the airport even though it, it, it runs probably every 20 to 30 minutes, it's just a, a great thing that we now yeah. have. And it's similar to the, the Ann Arbor Connector project where it's just like, you would probably love it more frequent, um, but it's a start. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that you know, that's another big piece is um, between us and Ann Arbor is, is how do we continue to improve that, that connection um, so that we can get more folks on um, transit, but also so that it's just easy to get back and forth between our two cities. Yeah, and so back to buses. I recently listened to a podcast with Neil Greenberg, DDOT's uh, manager of service development, and he said that one of the biggest barriers to the Metro Detroit region investing in a transit system is a lack of knowledge about how a network of mass transportation could be used in daily life. And for example, he used, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Nepian, Ottawa and how it's just very similar to, I think he said Clinton Township, but yet it's, you know, comparing and contrasting, like Nepi in Ottawa has like a, a barrage of different transit options. Yeah. So Neil is the smartest transit person I know. I have no idea where Nepi in Ottawa is and how it compares to Clinton Township. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's a different thing. I mean, this is a, a culture here where everybody's uh, owns an automobile and that's, yeah. that's how you get around. Um, so it's different. And, you know, you can't expect changes to, to happen overnight. Um, but there are people that need transit, and then there are people um, that also just don't want to own a car. Um, and, you know, transit can be a great option, but we also need additional options in additional transit. Like, we need um, 
more car sharing services so that you know people have a need for a vehicle they can they can get that and whether that's because they want to go to the grocery store or they have a job interview and it just allows them to to get there there um, Lyft and Uber have filled a gap um, but we also um, you know could use things like uh, Uber pool or Lyft line or yeah. things like scoop that provide uh, um, carpooling services mm -hmm. so you know we need more things um, and then at the same time while we need more things we need to be able to tie these things into one yeah. thing like we can't just have lots of stuff just out there and because we, we do and I carry like a bunch of cards in my, my wallet I got a bunch of different apps on how we get around yeah. um, but really we want to begin to keep driving towards how all that stuff gets tied together yeah and I mean that's that's a great you know early pilot like we mentioned um, the the lift connection with, um, was it the smart route? No, it's Woodward. Woodward route. D-Dot, okay. D-Dot. D-Dot, gotcha, yeah. And so in terms of engaging with the residents in neighborhoods, the residents in uh, downtown, midtown, do, have you just kind of done surveys or like have you gone out and, and just like talked to people? So yeah, I mean, we've done, I mean, so like when I first got here, I just talked to people at the bus stop to just understand their journeys. Um, We've done a few projects where we've gotten folks in the neighborhood to just come in and, and talk to us about their their day to days, their journeys, their frictions, um, and it's really important because I I have my perspective of um, how it can go, but uh, you know I, I have no idea what it's like for a single mom who's got to drop two kids off at different schools or daycares and then get to a job in the suburbs and, and get back and just sort of that that overall challenge and. Um, the only way to, to really understand that is to, to talk to them and, and listen. And I, um, I've got a great team who's very uh, human-centric design thinking um, around how we're, we're building these pilots to both do a lot of listening early on mm -hmm. and then also begin to talk to people about, is this a good idea? Um, it's a different way of doing things, but I, I think it's a, you know, on this topic, since this topic really so affects people mm -hmm. on their day to day, it's so important to actually understand like what what do people need and want, and like is that what, or is what we're developing hitting those marks? Right. And so uh, wrapping up here, before I ask my last question, how can uh, more people find information about the Office of Mobility Innovation, DDOT, Smart, Fast, all of these different resources? Sure. So. Uh, you have to find me to talk about mobility innovation because we are sort of an underground laboratory of just trying to come up with stuff and get stuff out there. Um, but yeah, you can go to www.ridedetroittransit.com as well as um, you go to detroitmi.gov and DDOT's the most popular webpage because everybody wants to find uh, their schedules. Um, and SMART is smartbus.org. Um, it has all the information there as well. And then if you're just waiting for the bus, um, the app called Transit uh, has all the information that you could want. Uh, if you're, you get out and turn it on, it'll tell you when the next DDOT route's coming, the next Smart Bus, the next Q-Line, the next People Mover, the next Windsor, um, Windsor Transit, as well as the closest MOGO station it allows you to pay for MOGO as well. So it's all that information is in one spot, which is uh, helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. So last question here. Uh, May is the month of mobility. And I asked this to all my guests. So what does mobility mean to you? Sure. For me, it's just simply being able to get people where they need to be. Um, 
we're very people focused. I, we're beginning to, to think about goods as well. Um, but it's just getting people where they need to be and, and making sure that and our part is how do we make it easier to do so? How do we make it safer and how do we make it more affordable? Awesome. And with that, I want to thank you for coming on. Cool. Thanks, man. This is great. All right, everyone. That was Mark De Laverne, Chief of Mobility Innovation for the city of Detroit. I'm really excited to see the future projects they put out because with them and everyone else chipping in, I really think we can make mobility inclusive of every city resident. A huge thank you to Mark for coming on the show. I also wanted to thank you, the listener, for listening to the show today. If you want to follow along and witness the Comeback States comeback, please hit subscribe on your podcast app and give us a rating. Also, check out our website at michiganmakers.co. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ashmediaco. That's A-S-H-E-M-E-D-I-A-C-O, where you can watch our videos, live streams, and join our exclusive exclusive community. Once again, thank you so much for your attention, and we'll see you next time.